nobody wants people who are good at taking tests. You're not supposed to know everything, and, and that can be okay too. I'm always looking for trying to find that balance. And again, I suspect this will be the same for any internal DPO. How do I maintain awareness without boring people to death and turning them off? Are you ready to know what you don't know about Privacy Pros? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast by KZNT Privacy Experts. The podcast to launch, progress and excel your career as a Privacy Pro. Hear about the latest news and developments in the world of privacy. Discover fascinating insights from leading global privacy professionals. And hear real stories and top tips from the people who've been where you want to get to. We're an official IAPP training partner. We've trained people in over 137 countries and counties. So, whether you're thinking about starting a career in data privacy, or you're an experienced professional, this is the podcast for you. Hi everyone and welcome to the Privacy Pros Academy podcast. My name is Jamila and I'm a data privacy analyst at Kazian Privacy Experts. With me today is my co-host is Jamal Ahmed, Fellow of Information Privacy and CEO at Kazian Privacy Experts. Jamal is an astute and influential privacy consultant, strategist, board advisor and Fellow of Information Privacy. He's a charismatic leader, progressive thinker and innovator in the privacy sector who directs complex global privacy programs. He's a sought-after commentator, contributing to the BBC, ITV News, Euronews, Talk Radio, The Independent and The Guardian, amongst others. Hi, Jamal. Hey, Jamila. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. I'm really excited to speak to our guest today. And you know what makes it more exciting is that we do all of these podcasts with guests from all over the world, right? But then when you've got podcasts you can do with people you've actually met in person, it makes it <laughs> better. So I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yes, me too. So coming up on our podcast today, uh, we'll go into a bit more about what qualifications you need to work in privacy, how to get the best buy-in for privacy and what the future of privacy might look like and many more topics. So our guest today is Joanna Kennedy and she is the Global Group Data Protection Officer at the Performance Review Institute. Joanna has overall global responsibility for data protection activities within the SAE group, adopting a pragmatic risk-based approach that focuses on the business benefits of compliance. She has been appointed a Fellow of Information Privacy by the International Association of Privacy Professionals and is a qualified data protection practitioner. She is also a Certified Information Privacy Manager and Certified Information Privacy Professional Europe. Joanna has been recognised as a One Trust Privacy Professional and a One Trust Governance, Risk and Compliance Professional. She is an IAPP exam question writer and a One Trust, in- One Trust Insights author. She has also volunteered as a school governor responsible for their data privacy policy. Hi, Joanna. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. And as we always do, starting off with an icebreaker question. If you could teleport anywhere in the world right now, where would you go? Oh, gosh. Well, having just come through a period of cold and snow here in the UK, I think it has to be somewhere warm. I haven't been there for many years now, but I have spent some lovely uh, holidays in Cuba. So it may be there. Oh, very nice. That's on my list of places I want to go to. Would you recommend it? Very much. 
Yeah, and you still have to have your passport stamped on a piece of paper in case you want to go to the US, or uh, are we okay with Cuba now? No, I think it's relaxed somewhat, but it, it kind of goes up and down a bit, I think, their relationship. Okay. That's right. interesting, because I had or used to have a Libyan passport. It's expired now, and that's one of the places I can go on my Libyan passport without a visa is Cuba. It's like Cuba and Venezuela, really random. So maybe maybe when I get my new passport, I'll go to Cuba. Do it. Cool, let's get into the question. So, Joanna, you've got a varied background. I was reading your bio. It said you did a degree in French and German and got a background in marketing. So how did you get into privacy? Languages initially was what I was good at at school. And yeah. I enjoyed. And so that's what I pursued for my honours degree. Mm-hmm. Then I frankly had no idea what I wanted to do uh, with my life. I yeah. applied out of university for jobs in all kinds of fields. HR, finance, sales, marketing, you name it. And I fell into marketing, mm-hmm. happily, as it turns out. Uh, and I have been in marketing for over two decades now. Yeah. When GDPR and data privacy became more prominent, right, a few years ago in the UK and Europe and and worldwide, uh, the organisation I worked for, we formed a team Mm -hmm. comprising people from across the organisation where we felt there would be the highest risk, value and so on with regard to the data we're processing. So I was there representing marketing. We had someone from IT for HR, I'm sure this is a very familiar story. We had a kind of council, right, where we explored what this would mean for us as a business and for our departments. And I really just loved it. So having, as I say, kind of 20 years ago, fallen in love with marketing and subsequently gained various diplomas and accreditations and so on. So, you know, I'm also a fellow of the Chartered Institute of Marketing and a fellow of the Institute of Data and Marketing and so on. And I'm a chartered marketer. And like I say, a few years ago, I kind of, wow, this data privacy stuff is really exciting. Even now, you know, people tell me I light up when I talk about it. I really am passionate about this. And so once GDPR came into force, literally that that same day, pretty much, I was invited to become our data protection officer, which I accepted gladly. But I said, well, I have this long history in marketing. I enjoy this data privacy stuff, but I only know what I have learned myself. And I feel for credibility, for confidence, I should gain some official um, qualifications. And I was very fortunate that my organisation backed me for that, which led to me uh, becoming a certified practitioner in data protection, specialising in the GDPR, as you mentioned, subsequently gaining the CIPPE and CIPM. And reaching the point where I was eligible to become a fellow of information privacy. So I did. And uh, so that that was my journey. My, the, you mentioned a couple of organisations I work for in my introduction. So I'm primarily employed by the Performance Review Institute, but that's part of a group of companies. And so initially I was the DPO for that one company. And subsequently I was appointed the group DPO. So what that now means is there are a number of companies that I serve as as data protection officer for in the UK, the US. We have entities uh, in Japan and China. So it's written and in places in Europe as well, customers all around the world. So it's a really thrilling, 
always changing landscape, and that that's how I how I got into it. Wow, what a story! Um, we currently have one of uh, similar to yourself, somebody with a very strong marketing background. In fact, she's known as an expert in marketing, and she's trying to pivot her career to uh, data privacy as well. And what I love, what I love so much about the people that come from marketing or understand marketing, and they bring that to privacy is. They get how to talk to people to get the buy-in. They understand how to give the calls to action in the right place. They understand that we don't want to lose people by using these complicated legalese and stuff. We just need to make it relatable to them, and then they're more likely to buy in, give us that culture. But anyway, I know you're going to share a lot about buy-in later on, but um, I can see, I can already see you have that marketing background. That passion for marketing has really uh, set you apart from other privacy professionals and really helped you to excel in your career. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more about that. You mentioned qualifications, um, and you said um, as, as you pivoted your career, as you were trying to look into this, you realized that, you know, I need, I only know what I know because I've just taught myself, so I don't even know what I don't know right now. I want some more confidence. I want some more credibility. And then you uh, mentioned three specific qualifications. So I know two of those, the CIPPE and the CIPM, they're from the International Association of Privacy Professionals. And you also mentioned another one. So what qualifications uh, does somebody actually need to work in privacy? So I think it's very interesting that within the legislation, there is nothing specified, right? We know this. So officially, the answer is you don't need any qualifications, right? It's really, I think, a balance of experience, like I say, confidence and qualifications. Uh, that said, I recall one of my very first meetings, having already been the data protection officer for one company in our group. Then when I became the group data protection officer, one of my very first meetings, someone in IT said, so why should we listen to you? And it's a reasonable question. You know, it wasn't obnoxious. I, I want to be clear about that. I think it's a reasonable question because these are serious things we deal with. So why should someone listen to you? And I think if you feel like you have a good answer for that, then without qualifications, then fine. I personally did not. I think it, it gives a lot of credibility, certainly the IAPP qualifications where they're ANSI accredited. Um, you know, it, it's, it's that other um, validation, right, that people look for. So I, I think that's, that's what matters. But it, it's not a, a one and done. As you know, once you have these qualifications, you have to commit to maintaining them to continual professional development. And so I make a point where I've said um, to my boss, for as long as you're prepared to allow me to, I will go to conferences and I will go to trainings and I will do all these things. There's a certain minimum I have to do to maintain my accreditations. Mm. But beyond that, I enjoy it. I get a lot of value from it and I bring that back to the organization. So I think that's very important. But I recognize not everyone is so fortunate to be in that position. So there are other things I think it's worth pointing out, right, that people can do. So I also get a lot of value from being a member of the International Association of Privacy Professionals, not just through attending their conferences and their qualifications and training, but for example, they they publish lots of articles that are very useful. And they also have a kind of community discussion forum that people post their queries and other people answer. And I have a, an email feed on that. So not everything is relevant to me and my role. And that's fine. Some of them I just file, but some of them I read like, OK, that's an interesting idea. And when we yeah talk about the, the benefits and, and getting the buy in. There was something very recently that was discussed there that I'm exploring to see could we do. So we'll come back to that. 
Okay, fantastic. I, I love the answer. I, I, I completely agree with you. When I was trying to get my foot into going to privacy, everybody was like, okay, great. But why? Um, what, what, what do you have that bring you to the table? And I found that the most credible and the most commercially valuable certificate um, or certifications out there was the one from the International Association of Privacy. Right. And you can see now uh, we have the Privacy Pros Academy where we exclusively work on delivering just IAPP certifications because of how much that organization brings value to the industry, to professionals like me and you and people looking to come in, people looking to get promoted, and also people just looking to become the leaders and the go-to experts. So regardless of what stage you're at, I value the IPP resources, I value the membership, the certifications. As you said, they're globally recognized, they're ISO and ANSI accredited, which means you can go anywhere in the world, and as long as they recognize you've got the gold standard, you can potentially have a data privacy role anywhere. And you've mentioned that you've, you know, covering global companies. So you're not just dealing with the UK or Europe. You're dealing with other parts of the Far East, China, US, Australia. So you really need that global understanding. And the CIPM for me really helped me to understand how to create a global privacy program that is compatible with all jurisdictions in, in, in the easiest and the most pragmatic way possible. The challenge I found when I was trying to do my certifications is there was lots of LinkedIn groups, WhatsApp groups, um, all of these social media uh, platforms, and there was individuals in there. And the only thing they wanted to do was pass an exam um, to look smart. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that. I was like, no, I don't just want to get four letters after my name and look smart. I think there's some, like, you know, sources where pe some people were going and buying, like, illegal question dumps uh, with the answers and then failing because they were all wrong anyway. But I think there's two mindsets when it comes to it. So, yes, you can go and do the bare minimum and just try to pass the exam. But then you're going to very quickly going to get found out. And the reason we do these certifications is to gain that credibility and to boost our confidence. So if you know you've kind of cheated and you don't really know what you're talking about, then what gives you the right to go and try and serve organizations on the scale that you might potentially find yourself in. So for example, John, you're working as part of a group, and I'm sure the decisions you're making and how you're helping the business is having an impact on millions of people across the world. So it's a lot of responsibility. So that's one of the reasons that led me to set up the Privacy Pros Academy is I didn't want people just to want to pass an exam. And if people want to do that, that's great, but they're not going to be a good fit for us. The other problem I had was I went to a couple of different providers for my certifications. Um, and what I found was the same thing is it was a large training company trying to sell as many courses as they can, get as many bums on seats, outsource the training to a lawyer who will come, read slides at you for two days. And if you're lucky, by the end of it, you can then go and do the everything yourself again. And you're none the wiser. And the problem I have is when I learn something, I have lots of questions. And sometimes those questions don't come to me straight away. They'll come to me later on. But there was nobody to then get that clarification from. Um, I can reach out to LinkedIn. I can reach out on other people. Some people will answer you. Some people won't. But I just wanted that relationship with the person who I thought was going to guide me. So I know that, hey, we had discussed this or you talked about this. How do I apply it here? Or what does it mean over here? But I'm looking at this and thinking it this way. Am I right in my thinking? And that was the biggest challenge for me. And that's kind of what inspired me to create the Privacy Pros Academy, where we've kind of taken the IEPP as a basic and expanded that to create our own unformat programs. And what I have found is really effective is as we go through the material, we don't just read the slides out or I don't just read the slides. What we do is we stop, we discuss it, 
we see what people's takeaways are. We ask people how they've implemented that or what that means to them from the different parts of the world and the confidence people get and how they can then understand how to operationalize that knowledge they're getting is so valuable. And I think that's the biggest secret that we have at the Privacy Pros Academy that helps us to get the results that people are getting with the kind of 97% first time pass rate and 100% overall. But also then we create the community. So even after the training, they're not just left on their own. Like they're there, we're there. We have weekly revision sessions, which is peer-led. And the reason I do peer-led is what I find is when I deliver training, it helps me to become a much better professional um, and it helps me improve my practice. So if it works for me, then I encourage all of those individuals who actually train with us to then say, okay, this week, these are the topics and you're going to hold a class and you're going to talk to people about them. And it really helps them to boost their confidence, get more clarity. And this community it's everyone in the academy. So everyone's uh, got the same mindset. Everyone wants to be great at what they do and really serve. And I think that's what is compelling people. And that's what's giving the most value from people. How useful do you think something like that might have been when you was uh, taking your qualifications? Well, as I was listening to you, Jamal, I was reflecting back on the training experiences I had and thinking to myself, gosh, I wish I had been part of that. And I wish I'd been aware of you then. I think it would have been incredibly beneficial. Um, there was actually, again, I was just thinking, when I uh, did a training for my CIPPE, I was already by that point a certified practitioner in data protection, specialising in GDPR. So I probably could have passed the CIPP exam anyway. But again, for confidence, I was like, let me take a training just in case. And I, yeah, I probably didn't need to. And in a way, I'm glad that I already knew a lot by that point because I was surprised and disappointed that some of the information that was being taught in that CIPPE class was actually wrong. I mean, just plain wrong. I think, you know, with, with data protection legislation, there are many shades of right, right? But there are certain things that are just wrong. Yes. Uh, and, and this definitely was. I love what you're saying about creating the community, you know, within the class and outside of that, that's, that's set up. Because there's not always a one answer fits all. It depends on, as you indicated earlier, the jurisdictions you're working in, the size of, of the operation, budget, risk tolerance, all kinds of factors come into it. So you can have different you know, people from different companies talking about experiencing the same situation, but the answer will be different for them. And so, yeah, I get a lot from those kinds of discussions because it can be very easy when you're an in-house DPO to have that focus because that's that's what you're being paid for that's your yeah. own experience yeah that so that's why for me I spent four years volunteering as a school governor helping them with data protection because within my professional position I don't have exposure to children's data that's not what we touch as well as yeah, it was a good thing but you know it helped it was it was mutually beneficial it gave me a more rounded experience also like I say why I like going to conferences and so on. And I still attend trainings, not necessarily CIPM or CIP or whatever, but, you know, data transfers, masterclass, things like that, where they're very, very you know, focused. And again, there are lots of shades of right. There are things that are definitely wrong, but it's so interesting to hear other people's perspectives and the issues they experience and how they've dealt with them. Or, as you say, when people aren't sure what to do and we all kind of discuss it together. So that sounds incredibly valuable. And I wish, I wish I'd been aware of it and participated at that point. 
We was probably was on the run. We've only been doing it for two years now, Joanna. So uh, okay, I feel better. Yeah, we we were probably both uh, sat at similar trainings in different parts of the country at that point. <laughs> but I think it's it's been good, and um, I hope we can inspire um, more change. There's like 120 official training partners, and the the craziest thing is, and the most uh, I think it really uh, humbles me and bless. I feel so blessed away is there'll be people in different parts of the world who will wake up like 3 a.m. Uh, because they want to train with us over any other provider because of the kind of results or what their friends have said who have trained with us. And it's it's so nice to have people with different perspectives, different cultures, different industries, all coming together uh, to help us fulfill the purpose that we have or the vision that we have at the Privacy Pros Academy, uh, or just in general, is basically we want to build a world where every woman, every man, and every child enjoys their right to privacy, um, regardless of where they are in the world. And we realized, look, the only way we can make that happen is if we can empower every organization on the planet to adopt honest privacy practices. I can't do that by myself, regardless of what I try to do with the consultancy. So I realized, you know what, we need to create world-class professionals. And if we can get enough world-class professionals with the same mindset that are willing to support each other, then we're going we're gonna to achieve our dream in our lifetimes. I, yeah, I, I think that's important. I think I'm interested, though, in your opinion, because as a data protection officer, then I give advice and guidance. But obviously there are many. And this, as you say, is where having a business background, marketing or otherwise, helps because you can speak their language. Because I recognize that privacy compliance is one business imperative, but there are many others. Mm. Profitability in some cases, right, you know, is one of them. And so I, I love that kind of mission about empowering and, you know, allowing everyone to kind of have that privacy. Do you find in your experience, you know, with the people you train and work with, do they face challenges within their businesses around that? And what advice do you give them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, every, everyone's going to have their own individual challenges. There's never going to be a day or a, a company you go to and you say, do X, Y, Z. And everyone's like, OK, we're going to do it. Have we done it great or do you want us to do more? So there's always going to be challenges. So what my tips there are, first of all, is if we want to be understood, then we have to understand. So let's understand what their objectives are. Let's understand what they care about. Let's understand what they're working so hard on. And then let's align their uh, goals and objectives and show how privacy or how the guidance or the advice we're giving is actually going to support that. And now when they know they've understood you, they're more open and more open. And if you can align those things together and show them, actually, we're all focused on the bigger picture as a business, it makes sense. And what I found ultimately is every single organization wants to protect their reputation. They want to protect themselves from enforcement action, but they want to go beyond compliance, right? We work with the companies <coughs> who want to go beyond compliance and instill confidence, inspire trust and achieve more success. Without trust and confidence, how are you going to win more clients? How are you going to be able to partner up with some of the big companies when you can't even meet the basic due diligence requirements? And this all comes back to understanding the business and the objectives and then looking at the greater objective. And when you can align all of those things together, magic starts to happen. And it's not going to happen easily and straight away because some people will see that you, compliance is here, run away, don't tell them the truth. They're here to cut us out. But if you can build those relationships, have coffees, meet them for lunch, just show an interest in what they do. They'll be much more open to speaking to you and explaining to you and even showing you what it is that they're doing. And you'll actually be surprised how much people actually do value what you're doing and do care about it. 
because you can always share with them relatable stories. And the kind of one of the top tips I share with some of the people on my program is if you just go around telling facts or just regurgitating the law, it's not going to mean anything to anyone. Go and tell them stories. So this is why we do easy peasy summaries of enforcement actions. Because then we go and tell stories and then they can see how it's had an impact on people or how it's had an impact on individuals. And when they can relate to those things and they remember the stories, you shift that culture, you shift that mindset and you start having an effective privacy program, which is one of the things that you're going to talk to us about next. Yeah, I, I think that's that's such a good point. I, what I try to do is say, okay, what is it we're trying to achieve? Let's not focus on what you want to do, but the why, right? Where are we going? Mm. And then how can we work together to get you to that same place in a compliant way? Yes. Right? So that we become not the department of no, but the department of yes and how, right? But I think key to that is making sure, and this is, is on us as the data protection people, as well as our colleagues, to... Um, how, how to get involved early. Because if if you're approached at the very end of a project, hey, we're launching this website tomorrow, <clears throat> is that okay? And you go, well, hang on, I need to like look at it. And you have to be the no, or not right now. So being involved early gives you the opportunity to be more of the enabler than the no, right? And like I say, well, we we can't know what we don't know. So I don't know what's going on, what everyone's doing all the time. But what we can influence is the processes, right? So um, as an example, with procurement, you know, in a large organization, if you're going to be using third-party vendors, which almost every company does for something, right? Even small companies may not do their own payroll. Um, so that, yeah, there's always kind of third-party vendors out there. And so it's working with procurement to say, you know, building into the process when we're onboarding a new vendor, whether it's for HR or marketing or sales or whatever it might be, build into the process the question, will this vendor be processing personal data on our behalf? It's a yes or no. It couldn't be easier, right? And the point is, if the answer is no, okay, great, then carry on. Don't even talk to me. But if it's a yes, okay, raise it to me so I can then, like you say, at the very beginning, as we're onboarding this vendor, before anything even happens, we can kind of be involved. So I, I think that being involved early and having that collaborative, you know, what are we, what's our end goal? rather than, you know, how are you going about it? If we start with the end goal, then we can work together on the how. Yeah, absolutely. Really wise words there, Joanna. You've shared so much value. I'm, I'm just going to summarize uh, what we've covered so far because this is, this is too much valuable information. For us. <laughs> so, Joanna, uh, you started telling us about your background in privacy and how the other experiences that you've had and the other passions you've had have really helped you to become so much better because you bring all of that value with you into your privacy role. And then you spoke about the qualifications that are kind of um, good to have or great to have in the industry. Although there is no actual qualification that is required legally to get a role in privacy, uh, what does help commercially, what does help from a credibility point of view is having those IAPP certifications and the added value of the membership and all of the great community and the resources. And what you've found particularly helpful is attending conferences. And one of the things that you mentioned, not so clearly, but we read between the lines was how invested you are as an individual in your professional development so you can be the best you can be so you can bring that and back and really serve your organization and i think your organization recognizes that about you and that's why they're always willing and happy to support you because they can see how it's having a positive impact on them and then we spoke about uh different types of training and what to kind of look for and what would help and what might 
not be so helpful and how to make the right decision on if you are deciding to go and get certified, what you should be looking for with who you choose to go to. And finally, um, what we've just covered now is how do we actually approach the business and how should we approach our work so that we can actually make positive impacts on the businesses and really say, hey, um, we are here to understand the objectives and let's work together on that. Instead of focusing on how we do it, let's focus on why and then the hows will come for themselves. And I think one of the things we should all be conscious of, like I said, I'm very fortunate at this point that I'm able to travel for conferences and so on. Not everybody has that. But as we said, there are many free resources. I know you have some WhatsApp groups, as you mentioned. I'm in one of them. And like we said, being an, a member of the IAPP, OK, there is a fee. It's not excessive. And there's so much value from the content and the discussion forums there. So I think there is, in that sense, something for everybody's budget. Mm. Because it, this this world is changing all the time. I wanted to ask, because um, <clears throat> while I was reading your bio, I was very interested that you are an exam question writer. How did you get into that? And I guess, <laughs> how do you come up with your exam questions? How do you know what you want to test people on? So... I mean, that's a relatively new thing for me. So all I, all I can talk about is my experience, okay? I'm a big believer uh, in getting as much as you can from situations and giving as much as you can as well. I, I think both benefit everybody involved. And so when, for example, uh, I was at Risk London you know, recently and I was invited to be on the podcast, I said yes. <laughs> and so... As a member of the IAPP, I get many emails from them, and one of them said, hey, we're looking for people to write questions for our exams. If you're interested, get in touch. Okay. And so I got in touch, uh, and they carry out a rigorous training. I was very impressed on their expectations. You also go through the uh, body of knowledge for – so you can only write questions for a qualification you have. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's either the CIPP or the CIPM. They ask you to go through the bodies of knowledge for whatever those are and highlight the, the sections that you feel you're, and I can't remember their exact wording, but where you're proficient, where you're okay, where you're not comfortable, whatever. You know, you kind of rate yourself. And on, then they kind of take that back and say, okay, well, we're going to ask you to write some questions on this area then. And they give you a lot of guidance <clears throat> because their exams are multiple choice. If someone in theory could go through and just go A, B, C, A, B, C. So they provide you with examples and there's a certain format and you have to make sure, for example, nothing is too obvious. I mean, it sounds silly, but if you write, write a question and then there's four, you provide the answer options as well. And three of them are one word answers and, four, and the fourth one is a super long detailed explanation maybe that's the one that's right then yeah so they they look at it in a lot of detail it's not just accuracy it's how easy it would be to fool the system kind of to jamal's point earlier right yeah they don't also nobody wants people who are good at taking tests that's not what this is supposed to be testing it's supposed to be testing your knowledge so there is a very rigorous process um but yeah fundamentally it's looking at you know, being aware that there are opportunities out there and being open to them i think is, is key you know, within privacy or anything else. Yeah. Like I said, that's that's how we ended up here today. Um, it's also how, you know, I have written a couple of articles for One Trust. You know, they they put calls out there, you know, does anyone feel like they know enough about something to write an article? So I, I've written a couple of articles for them, the most recent on um, 
consent in, in the context of marketing. So that's obviously for me a kind of perfect intersection of my skills. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are so many opportunities out there, I think, if if you're able and willing to take them up. Yeah, definitely. I think that's good advice, no matter what sector you're in, especially I think when you're just starting out in your uh, career and you're trying to build yourself up. I've kind of said yes to things and then worked out how I'm going to do it later. <laughs> right. Well, and, you know, on that, I have to give some kudos to my dad. So I'll make sure he hears this. I tell him, <laughs> I quote him. Uh, I'm not sure if he believes me or not. This goes back actually to marketing, but it's something so you know, stuck in my head, clearly, the years and years where I had done my first uh, marketing diploma <clears throat> and then my company offered to pay for me to do another one. And I remember saying to my dad, you know, I've just done one, like, shall I bother? You know what I mean? Do I need this? And he said to me two things. Firstly, if someone else is going to pay for it, do it. <laughs> and secondly, he said, you can have a job and lose it. You can have a home, you can have money, a partner, you can have lots of things and lose them. But if you have education, no one can take that away from you. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, he met both of those points are really good points. So I did that second diploma. And I became a charter marketer and a fellow of those institutes. And then, like I say, when the opportunity to move into privacy came up, I was like, right, I need I needed some training anyway. And like I say, you know, I think if the opportunities are there, that's that's beneficial to your, your business as well as to yourself, mm. then it, why not? I, I love those values your father has instilled in you about investing in yourself and growing and developing yourself and how that is one of the only things that no one else can take from you and you won't right. lose, you'll only grow uh, with it. So, Joanna, the other thing is I'm actually really happy to hear that you are uh, going to be contributing to writing some of the questions in the exam. And the reason I say that is because one of my biggest gripes with some of the questions at the moment is I can't honestly say whether they're testing somebody's knowledge or somebody's comprehension. And for those people around the world where English isn't their first mm -hmm. language, I feel it puts them at an unfair disadvantage because I've spent time with them. I know they know their stuff. I know uh, it, it's just a question of a challenge of comprehension. So if we can have somebody like you who understands people who's got marketing language and knows how to make things nice and clear, we can just go and test people's knowledge. And the other thing you mentioned uh, about the actual process of the IPP, um, which I love so much about the IPP questions, is, look, if an exam is so easy that everyone can get it, then there's no value in it. And this is why the IEPP is the most rigorous. This is why they're so valued. It's because it's designed to make sure that a company can say, if this person has acquired the certification, then it means they know at least this much, and then we can actually afford to bring them on to add value to our organization. I think you're absolutely right. And I think any kind of qualification, probably again in any field, is only going to be a baseline, right? And one of the things I think it says about that individual is they have the capacity to learn and improve their knowledge, right? They know, like you say, a certain amount. But as I said, I'm learning all the time. I will, I, I will never say oh, I know everything about this stuff. I don't think if anyone ever said that to me, I wouldn't believe them because it's changing all the time because there's anyway so much to know. So I think that's the important thing. Certainly, I think for someone who is experienced in this field, like I say, they have a certain level of knowledge, but also to get to a certain level, it's more that you know where to find information, right? So I say, like, I don't, I don't know everything. You know, I've been asked about what are the rules around cookies in 60 different countries? Or, 
you know, off the top of my head, I could not tell you, but I know how to find out. And I did. Yeah. And I think that's that's the key. Yes. Yes. It's not necessarily knowing the answers, but I think it's important to know what we know and what we don't know, but how to find the answer. That's the kind of people we want. And that's the kind of people we want to be is, I don't know all the answers, but I know how to find the answer. Mm. And that I think is such a valuable uh, quality to have. Yeah. And I think the point about, you know, communities that you raised already, sometimes everyone, everyone every now and then, someone says something and you think, I don't think that's right. I'm having a bit of a moment. You know, let me just run that past somebody else and say, am I, am I going insane here? And, you know, it's, it's very reassuring and necessary sometimes just have someone go, no, no, you're right. You know, the sense check and, and to give you that because no one, I, I, I would be, again, not only worried if someone said they knew everything, but very worried if they never doubted themselves either. Um, so, you know, I think yeah, having those communities is very important as well. One, one of the things we speak about in our C5 methodology is clarity. And for me, clarity comes from knowing what you know clearly, but also knowing where your gaps are. Yeah. Um, and it's important to know where your gaps are. I think you're absolutely right. And I think the other part of that, I would add knowing where your gaps should be, right? I'm not, for example, I'm not an IT specialist. I never will be probably at this point. I know stuff, you know, but that is my gap. And I'm also, I'm not a lawyer. That's also okay. You know, I'm actually going to be facilitating a discussion panel at the IAPP DPI um, event in March in the UK around what value do non-lawyers bring to the privacy profession? We've talked about like marketing, but like we said, IT, you know, there are many routes into privacy. It's not just lawyers. And so there are things, you know, there are gaps that we all have. And you're right, being aware of them is important, but also understanding you're not supposed to know everything. And, and that can be OK, too. Um, Joanna, how do you know how good a privacy programme is? Mm. It's a big, big question. <clears throat> so <laughs> I think, first of all, what I would say is, why does it matter? right? Why, why does it need to be good? And you know, what does that mean? Well, it does matter. Um, there are many reports. Again, these are things you know, I don't know. I'm not the authority on this, but I read, right? And so there are many reports that talk about why this matters. So for example, Cisco, okay, um, has uh, done research to indicate that organizations with mature privacy programs are better equipped to handle changing requirements around the world. We, we've talked about the fact that legislation is changing regularly. I mean, I think Gartner a while ago came out with a report that said in 2020, 10% of the world's population was covered by modern privacy legislation. And by 2023, which is really not far away, um, or perhaps by the time this goes out, it is 2023, yeah. um, it will be about two thirds. So privacy legislation is constantly being introduced, revised. And so, like I say, according to Cisco, if you have a mature privacy program, you're better equipped, which means it's you know, more cost effective, quicker and so on to adapt to these changes. We also find um, in that same report by Cisco that 93% of organizations have even raised um, the profile of privacy up to their boards. So they are reporting on privacy metrics, breaches and so on, because again, these have real world financial, operational, um, strategic impact to businesses. 
but it's not all about kind of the stick in that sense. Um, you know, there's a carrot in this too that's very important for business. And so again, this same report found that organizations with those more mature privacy practices are realizing much greater business benefits from privacy than those that don't have those mature practices. So for example, um, it was somewhere around 85, 91% of the mature organizations saw reduced sales delays, um, fewer losses from breaches. They had more innovation, more efficiency in their operations, greater customer loyalty and trust, making their company ultimately overall more attractive um, and comparing very favorably to those who had only medium or low maturity privacy programs. So that's just a little about why it matters. Mm. Um, but in terms of what makes a good privacy program, uh, you know, there are many um, ways to, to do this. Um, what I have done, again, I can only sort of talk about my experience, but what I have done is <clears throat> conduct a kind of maturity assessment of what we do and then benchmark it against other organisations. And so there were a number of measures that I, I chose to assess. I think it was about 13. So it's quite a lot, but it really gives you that in-depth insight. And it's not just kind of a piece of paper in the end, because what it did for us is to allow us to see, okay, we're really good at this, but not so good at this. And so let's focus our, our efforts there, right? And so just to give you some examples of, of some of those 13 measures, I mean, we can get into all of them if you want, but just for an, as an example, you know, transparency, right? So do we have privacy notices? Are they available? Are people able to report issues easily? You know, that kind of transparency and access, if you like, to the information. <clears throat> around, for example, data minimization, accuracy, storage limitation, that, that stuff around the data. So, you know, do we only process the personal data that's adequate, relevant, you know, limited to what we actually need? <clears throat> do we only keep it as long as we need to? Are we checking that regularly? That kind of thing. Obviously, security is, is a big part of that. Have, you know, is there a data protection officer? Do we need one? Is there one, are they supported at the top level of the organization? Is there an organization-wide commitment to privacy? And that really gets into what I think, you know, is, is the hardest one, in my opinion, for any organization to perform really well at, which is having privacy by design, because I think that is a cultural shift, perhaps, in an organization, right? And culture, you know, is the hardest thing to change. I mean inside outside work right culture is is what we think and how we behave so i think that's a really tough one to move the needle on um but it's very important so you know is there a privacy by design approach have we adapted our processes to to reflect on that is privacy a default setting again is there internal training and awareness activities going on so again maybe the marketing helps me in this um, as jamal indicated but I'm always looking for trying to find that balance. And again, I suspect this will be the same for any internal DPO. How do I maintain awareness without boring people to death and turning them off, right? So we do <clears throat> annual training that's mandated for all employees. I also last year arranged, I think it's more of an American term, but a fireside chat. So it was a, yeah, a bit like this, a conversation rather than like an interview or something a conversation with someone in our legal department 
that we we prepared. We knew what topics we were going to talk about, and then we invited questions. And you know, everybody could attend either in person. We were in a room or online if, if they weren't able to be there in person. And it went down really well. Um, and so looking into 2023, you know, we may do a similar thing. I also recently learned there is, and I'm looking into this, excitingly, somebody has created an escape room online where the clues relate to data protection in order to get your, and I'm like, oh my God, this sounds so fun. So like that's going to be our next team away day or something. Um, well, yeah, I mean, so it's apparently only in Dutch right now, which is rather strange from my mm. point of view, but apparently there's been so much interest that they're looking to translate it into English. So, um, yeah, but like, because it's just a bit different, right? I want things that I do to be memorable and engaging. Um, yeah. you know, I think that's how you can move the needle, like we're talking about in that privacy by design, like to change the culture. Um, obviously then... Things like, are we facilitating data subject rights, managing our vendors properly? What about cross-border transfer? How do we handle breaches? These are all other measures to assess you know, how mature, how good is your privacy program. Once you've done that assessment, <clears throat> what I did with some of the elements, again, if we reflect back what we were talking about, the gap, right? So the security of data. Our IT team is obviously very heavily involved in that. And so there were some things... I just didn't know. And that's okay. Mm. So I went to them. You know, I think, again, it's, you can't think you, you're going to know everything. You're not. That's okay. But like you said, knowing where to go. And so once I felt like I had assessed all this, either by myself or with input, right, then, like I say, I, I did a benchmarking exercise against other or similar organizations um, and came up with, so we'd done our assessment and then realistically, where do I think we can get to, right? And so for that, I use the very common um, cybersecurity measures. You know, you're on a, it's a scale of zero to five, where zero is you've done nothing. Five is like, wow, you couldn't possibly do any more. <clears throat> you know, and recognising that not every organisation needs to be at a five, right? And this goes to, I think, the point, um, although... Yeah, we talked about, yes, there's no nothing specified exactly in the legislation about uh, the DPO qualifications, but there is something about being proportionately and appropriately qualified. And so depending on the nature of the organisation and the nature of that personal data you're processing, you may say we should be at a five, maybe if you're a hospital or a domestic violence refuge or, you know, no, we need to be super good at this. There may be others where you say, you know, we need to like be at a three, we've got to be implemented and doing but we don't need to be like best in class. It really depends, um, you know, what, what you're trying to achieve. Because like we talked about before anyway, there are other expectations, you know, business imperatives. Do we have millions of pounds to throw at this thing or not? You know, that's going to make a big difference, right? So all that kind of stuff. But that, in a very long-winded way, <laughs> to answer your question about, you know, how do you know how good your program is? That is what I did. So in short, you know, identified what measures to assess, conducted the assessment, recognizing where I, I didn't know the answers and getting that input as needed, determining, like I say, on that scale of zero to five, where are we? What's our target? And when do I think we can get that by? And then that gives us, okay, so now I know what our focuses are. For example, I said clearly, well, yes, we have a data protection officer, check, who is qualified, check, you know, 
So I said, we're doing pretty well on that. I can't remember the exact number I gave it, but, you know, we're doing pretty well. Where, like I say, in general, I don't think this is unique. Privacy by design, it's a change of mindset for many people, right? Um, and so, you know, we scored certainly lower than on the GPO part. So, okay, I say, now that means that's something I have to work on, which is why, okay, a fireside, you know, as well as the training and policies that everyone has to do, how do I get people engaged and excited? So a fireside chat where they can ask questions, uh, you know, potentially an escape room. I've heard of people doing kind of, um, you know, Jeopardy style quizzes, you know, where we have teams, like there's all kinds of things, you know, I think. And obviously there's a great opportunity at the end of January being uh, Data Privacy Day. So, you know, can you leverage that? So, um, like I say, that that's... Um, how, how I went about that. Thank you, Joanna. Super valuable. And in, in between everything you were saying, I just kept thinking, you know what I love most about what you're saying is how she's talking about understanding the context in which you operate and not one size fits all. But it goes back to your bio, a pragmatic risk-based approach. And that's the approach that I favor. And that's the approach that clients love because it's the one that makes the most sense. And as you said, the GDPR, the regulation isn't prescriptive. But it tells you, here's the principles. Apply some common sense and apply them. And to apply them well, you're probably going to need someone who has relevant experience. And it doesn't tell you what that relevant experience is because, again, when you apply that pragmatic risk-based approach, it's going to depend on the context of the, what the processing is taking place, the context of the industry, the context of the state of the art. And when you put all of those things together, you can make really good uh, business decisions. What I would encourage everyone to do is to pause the podcast right here, rewind back five minutes and listen to what Joanna has said again, because those are valuable nuggets that you don't want to miss, especially if you're finding yourself in a senior position and you're looking to assess what your privacy program is like. Those are super valuable tips. Um, so make sure you listen to that part again and then share your takeaways with us. Tag me, tag Joanna, and we'll definitely come and uh, interact and respond with you and um, give you some more insights or um, just get, sh share, share our insights based on what you've taken away from that. Um, Joanna, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. You've given us so much value, so much more than we could have asked. And the thing I love most uh, about what you said throughout the whole progress is how much you love to learn and how much you love to give. And I think it's important to give. And I really thank you so much for giving to the world um, and uh, to everyone who's listening to the podcast. And on behalf of all of the members of our academy, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. I love speaking to people who have the same passion as I do. When you feel like we could talk for hours, I can't believe we have already um, you know, spent so long on it. Happy to connect with anybody, um, you know, and, and support you as much as I can. So thank you very much for inviting me. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, like and share so you're notified when a new episode is released. Remember to join the Privacy Pros Academy Facebook group where we answer your questions. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're leaving with some great things that will add value on your journey as a world-class Privacy Pro. Please leave us a four or five star review. And if you'd like to appear on a future episode of our podcast or have a suggestion for a topic you'd like to hear more about, please send an email to team at kzient.co.uk. Until next time, peace be with you.